this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Hey, everybody. We are back with another commission podcast. This might be the shortest introduction for a podcast of all time because this is essentially chapter two of the Insidious Uh. podcast coverage where we find out that in the first podcast, I was actually possessed by the ghost of Cecily all along. (laughs) Right. And Jim was Angus Samson. And now I'm possessed by the ghost of Patrick Wilson. So (laughs) I don't. Yeah. I thought you were sexier when you came in this morning. (laughs) Right. I had a nicer jawline, you know. (laughs) But you're missing teeth, <laughs> right? So, that's you know, a trade-off. I, I, I'd go with a few. I'd go with a toothless uh, <laughs> Patrick Wilson. Uh, this was uh, also sponsored by Sean Ray. He uh, uh, requested we do these back to back, and we have done so. Uh, this film was made in 2013, so a little bit of a lay uh, in between. A little, little bit of a layover in between the first and the second one. I think it helped because uh, massive spoilers. If you haven't seen the Insidious series. Uh, the way that they cleverly kind of weaved the action from the first movie yep. uh, into this one, I was first extremely skeptical. Mm-hmm. Like the first 30 minutes of this movie, I was kind of arms crossed like, this is bullshit. I can't believe they're even going to try to do this. By the end of the movie, <laughs> I'm like, bravo. Yeah, it was the best part of the movie for me. Yeah. Um, I-, I thought, you know, aside from being scary, that was a really – it's something that horror movies don't often try. Is to or when do they do, it's of, bad. Well, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, if they try it, yeah, it, it usually doesn't work. But it worked really well here. I thought, like, you know, especially some of the moments where you hear, you see, like, uh, Josh banging on the front door of his own house. And, and it you realize, yep, we're in the same scene from the first movie. And it makes and perfect sense. That was the sound he was actually hearing. Yeah. Uh, and they kind of start off with, with it being sort of you know him trying to get the attention of people in the house yeah. through like the piano and stuff right and they don't they kind of stay away from this idea that he was active actively like outside of his body working to help his son yeah um or or himself at that point like yeah. i i guess he wasn't really caught up in the plot of the first movie, right? He was just off doing his own thing, which happened to coincide with the things with of that. the first yeah. movie, right? Which was really, really cool. No, I I thought it was amazing. I don't know who, whether it was Lay Wannell or James Wan, the Wan and Wannell, the Whammy, uh, who came up with the idea of like, what if half the haunting in the first movie was Josh? Yeah, but that was the genius idea that made I think Insidious Chapter Two worth doing. Yeah. Uh, and essentially and the, and everybody a... comes back. It's the entire cast. Like, I didn't know how they'd do that, uh-huh. but I should have suspected with ghosts and planes walking that you would just, any character <laughs> that died in the first movie can just be contacted on the other side. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And it's not even cheesy and it's cool, and they actually build up to that. Like, when they have the seance where they're trying to connect, uh, what is her name? Elsie? Elsie, yeah. Uh, you know, and things start speaking through gas masks and stuff. It's genuinely uh-huh. creepy. I honestly thought, like... Because cause I, I guess my first initial review is I think the plot is sillier than the first one, but the movie is probably mm. twice as scary. But after just spending the last few minutes talking about it, I'm not even sure that's true. The The plot 
seem silly uh-huh. until you experience the whole thing and see kind of how clever it is. Yeah, I mean, I. So, in as much as you believe that the red faced demon has cause to come after people, uh-huh. I think you believe that the mother here has cause to to torture uh, poor Parker into killing people. Like, there, there's no basis for any of it, right? It's just kind of let's start with this premise and go from there. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the mother. I mean, that's the thing. I don't think she tortured him into killing. I think she just tortured him because of her own mental illness. No, she did. I mean, it's specifically mentioned, like, she, you know, when they're in the house, when Angus Sampson, when Specs mm-hmm. and Tucker are in the house, mm-hmm. and they see this little girl, and she's like, she'll make me kill you if she sees you. Like, right. the mother is making him kill. But I, they also said that his first victim was his mother that he tried to kill to get freedom. Hmm. Okay. But then I think, yeah, you're understood that she haunted him after that. Um, right. So, like, I don't know. It was a chicken egg kind of situation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's the other thing is, like, they really make this Parker character a pitiable figure because yeah. his yeah. mother, for un, a completely unexplained reasons, like you can probably imagine a bunch of them, is forcing him to be a daughter uh, after yeah. being previously raised as a son. And, like, you know, that's the thing. Like, I guess that's always horrifying to me, the uh, absolute power that a parent has over a child. And, like, when you read, like, really hardcore abuse and neglect stories from children, it's just like – God damn, you can fucking torture with a per- with with a child and you have almost un- unlimited power to do so so long as you can keep from being discovered. Sure. And I, this was I mean, uh, that's the nature of it, right? You can also go the other way with it and you can do some really great things for your child. Right. That's you have nine, unlimited yeah. power in both directions. <laughs> it's just how do you use it? Yeah. And this, yeah. this mother's not using it well. <laughs> yeah. But I mean it's also kind of gives me pause to think that this isn't like in the top 10 fucked up thing I've heard of kids going through. I mean sure. Jesus, but uh, it does seem like it. You know, it it, it gives the villain a human touch. Mm-hmm. Um, it really gives a sense of kind of urgency and despair to his character. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to the fact that I, I don't know when you realized, like I, you know, obviously, um, I wasn't sure about Josh. I I kind of thought he was possessed, but when I first saw the first couple minutes of the movie, I'm like, wait a second, is Wan and Wanel? backpedaling the idea that they really sold that he's being possessed or is he only partially possessed and he's fighting for control because hmm, it seems right. like when he was pleading with not having to kill his family i thought that was uh josh yeah or patrick's patrick wilson yeah i mean there were definitely a couple moments that you know tipped me off if not if not were just blatant i i can't remember the order that things happen in exactly but right. i mean obviously we see scenes of like josh shouting in the the further Mm-hmm. Um, trying to get back to his family. I, I think that's actually the first time I thought, like, it was in the middle of the movie, there was just a brief scene of him kind of being with the lantern right. in the further, and I'm like, oh, fuck. And then they introduced Parker, and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't remember the order, but I know there were several things that, like, if you weren't getting it, you should get it with these scenes, right? So, um, I... I, I how, how scary do you think this movie is? I thought it was very scary like somewhere between conjuring one and two because okay i felt similar like anytime you have a kid involved and like <laughs> right the scene of um is it is it dylan is that the the young josh's kid dalton dalton yeah the scene of dalton with that fucking as, as soon as they introduced the, the wire can t- walkie talkie i'm yeah, like yeah. oh fuck off <laughs> fuck off with this because so- 
The absolute creepiest thing I've ever seen is the mother in the original Conjuring playing hide-and-seek with her children in a house where they uh-huh. she puts on a blindfold and they clap twice and then the children all clap throughout the house and you try to find them by sound. Nice. And then one of the fucking ghosts decides to start playing Join and me, it's yeah. – <laughs> because you can see what's going on and uh-huh. she can't. And when he's sitting there holding that tin can and it's going into the closet, yep. I'm like – Fuck this! Fuck this! Fuck this whole movie! No, no, <laughs> super effective. I yeah, I love that scene. I think it's great. And you know, you can. I I don't know how you feel about this, but when I'm watching horror movies, I'm always spotting the things that I'm like, "Yep, that's coming back. Yep, right. that's coming back." In the first movie, I was like, "Oh, the piano is going to play a big part in this," and it didn't until this movie. Right. So that Which was they kind didn't of know that. Like I I I, right. I I I was convinced that. Wan and Wannell had this as a duology from the very beginning. But uh-huh. then I read – I couldn't find anything where they're like, oh, yeah, we totally put this stuff in as things. Like I think huh. they organically – and it seemed like the producer's like, we want you to make another one. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, well, you know, I'm not sure if we want to. And it took them like three years to come up with the script and the idea and to commit to it. So I kind of feel like all that stuff was just organic that they – It kind of feels like it because the other thing they do in the first movie is I think they subvert a lot of that stuff. Like mm. your expectation is, yeah, the things I'm seeing here are going to come back later. Like in this movie, I immediately knew that that baby walker was coming back. Sure. Like, Obviously, as soon as that thing played sound, I was like, yep, mm-hmm. coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In the first movie, I thought that about the piano, which mm-hmm. didn't really play a huge part. And I also thought about the grandfather clock, which right. never played a part. I, I, I almost felt like the, the grandfather clock was a deliberate exactly, red herring. Yeah. Like you're supposed to, oh my God, it's the clock. And then uh-huh. just keep you from figuring out the thing with, uh, with Dalton. Yeah, so... In this one, I was a little more surprised when the tin can thing immediately became, you know, it was an immediate obvious thing that could be scary on screen, and they right. went with it. Same right. with the baby walker. Like, they seemed to kind of revert to that in favor of, like, telling this more intricate story, which I'm all for. I, I think it was great. Oh, yeah. And the other thing I, I read in an interview with Wan is that he kind of had the idea of what's really scary is kind of like in The Shining, Mm-hmm. Where it's like half of it's supernatural, you know, it's there's a supernatural component, but there's also every child and every, you know, wife's fears that their husband's going to go berserk and, and try to hurt them. Like that's sure. that's like core Jungian archetype things that terrify people. And here's the thing where like, you know, Josh, she sees that he's probably possessed by a ghost. And then the, you know, like we're not kind of sure exactly to what extent. And if he's fighting it, then she's not sure. And then the police call and say the prints don't match, which... I don't know how the hell that works. Demon Some prince. yeah, oogie oogie boogie stuff. Yeah, ghost uh, and, and that kind of like makes her relax a little bit. But then he starts. Te- you get the body horror, and his teeth start falling out because yeah, he the, his looking dead- like Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna notice. Which the makeup they do like really changes Josh's or you know Patrick Wilson's look. Uh-huh. And you know, uh, and he. He can play such a warm, charming guy, and he's also just completely freaking terrifying. Like, yeah, I kind of—it's so funny because I never thought that I would agree with the with the criticisms of The Shining because we we talked about this before I'd read the book The Shining mm-hmm. about you know how Jack Nicholson was actually a really shitty version of that father, and he was significantly less scary psychologically than than the book was. And I'm like, oh bullshit, Jack Nicholson's awesome. There's no way. Uh-huh. 
I would love to see a Patrick Wilson remake where he's the dad and they actually do like a six hour, maybe HBO miniseries based on The Shining because I think he would nail it because he could nail the parts where it's like, you know, why did Danny love his father so much if he's he's fucking crazy Jack Nicholson? Well, the book goes into that and like it really that's part of the real intense tragedy. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, the trouble with that movie is they never have a familial relationship that's no that's kind or and, loving and it's tough to sell that i think they could have done a better job and what they had but and, and yeah. you know i'm not going to talk shit about the shining it's sure, one of the greatest sure. horror movies ever made but it has its flaws like it does have its movies. flaws mm-hmm. um and I, I just feel like at, now that i've seen patrick wilson kind of do a better version of that type of character mm. it really you know in the span of four hours essentially if you take these as, as one long movie um it makes me think like oh man that that would actually you could Kubrick left enough room for for someone to make a better sequel or a better remake. It's not the di- uh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it'd still be difficult. That bar is pretty high. Sure. I mean, that movie is excellent. Uh, yes, but there are gaps certainly that you could fill in. Yeah. Um, let's go back real quick to you know your your discussion about you know Josh attacking uh, Renee here because I I was actually pretty impressed with how they kind of just went for it like. It didn't seem like there was any holding back. And, of course, it's movie magic and, you know, he's not really beating her up. But, like, came at her pretty full force. Yeah. And she bashed him with wrenches. And, oh, yeah. Like, they were fighting. And the other thing is, like, going back to the talk shit about The Shining, um, the mother in that movie is terrible. Like, like Rose Byrne plays a woman who's fighting. Like, she's actually well, doing her level best to keep this monster from getting her children. And... Right. I, what do you mean by terrible? Because... No, she's terrible. That a, character a woman, is terrible. But she's a, a broken woman. She's an absolutely broken woman by this horrible man. I like, get it. I'm just saying I've read the book, and the book character is much better. Okay. Like I, <laughs> I, I haven't read the book. Uh, so, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm arguing with information you don't have. But I'm just like, I, I much prefer this version where, you know, right. she seems like a lot, like she's just not going to roll over and give up, and oh my God, you know, what am I going to do? Now, at the end, she clearly, like, believes Josh, that he's Josh again, right, and not right. Parker. Um, maybe a little too easily. I, I think a little too easily because if you're thinking about this, okay. So the the, the touchstone here is the song, right? Their mm-hmm. their song that she wrote for him on piano or whatever. Uh, and first off, like when she she goes to play it, mm-hmm. the demon like Parker doesn't recognize it, right? And he's like, "What? What are you talking about? No, I don't know any song. We got other things to worry about." Mm-hmm. At the end, he then says. I was playing our song for you. That seems this like something the demon could sure. This could be an easy ruse, sure. a super easy ruse. He now knows the song. He knows what it sounds like. He recognizes that that was the song playing. Right. Why does she believe him in this moment? I know his demeanor changes significantly, yeah. but that was true early on in the movie, sure. too. And that was my biggest problem in the early goings is like, wait a second. This guy is going to act like he wants to get back to business as usual when you just went through Insidious 1. Like, this is dumb, and there's no way uh, Rose Byrne is going to fall for this. And the fact that she was at all, I know she's played the, the whole time like she's conflicted. I was just like not having any of it. Uh-huh. Um, but then that became part of the plot, and I guess it was better. They had a really good reason to not have him just go crazy and start killing at the beginning. 
is because Parker doesn't want to kill. No, Parker right? wants to live again. Right. He's actively resisting the idea of killing, and it's only when his body starts to deteriorate, that, yeah. which they suggest is because he's not killing, because, because that he decides to start killing again. Yeah, I mean, I think his mom is fucking him, because I feel like that like right. your dead soul is being rejected by the body is not going to be... I mean, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> there's... by killing. Maybe there's oogie-boogie magic where you shed blood and that life force sustains you. I mean, that's yeah, I, very vampiric, but I'm sure. really impressed with how tightly constructed this plot is yeah there aren't there aren't a lot of things that make you just say what the fuck i don't understand that or like there are some basic premise stuff that you have to just go with yeah you have to go with all the ghost logic right but within itself i feel like it's consistent and i i i also love a movie where the protagonists are very intelligent and they're making like they are solving this mystery and making connections and doing things correctly and not splitting up unnecessarily and using the buddy system and like all like all and these guess things. Guess what? It's still terrifying. You can still make a great horror movie where people aren't idiots. Yes, and I like because because then you know then that makes the villains all the more formidable and yeah. and but you can still root for the the good guys. Like I just I thought that everything about this movie is executed on such a superlative level from the acting and the directing and uh, yeah. I'm not sure what the budget is. Let me scroll down because I got that. So this budget was five million. It was almost five. <laughs> this is a three three times bigger than the previous movie. Okay. I'm not going to say that you could tell because the m- first movie didn't seem like it was, you know, shoddily made. But right. um, I also thought it was pretty in- innovative. Like, how many times have you seen, like, dowsing rods and Ouija boards and all that stuff? Like, the spirit dice I thought was a really cool concept uh-huh. and executed very well. Yeah, it's tough because they can only respond with one word. Like, Well, they got two sometimes. Oh, three sometimes, yeah. actually. Yeah. Depends on how, lo- lo- you know, it's like That's what – what if they were using like what if um yeah you're talking to the dead teenager and they're just using like chat speak or <laughs> right. this, 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 I have emoji dice. <laughs> right. <laughs> Smile, star, pink bow, poop emoji? What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what does that mean? Um oh, I, man. but but I thought I thought that was really cool and introducing um was it Alex? Is he the old guy that was her partner once upon a time? Name. Uh I thought that was cool and I actually my first thought when they when they're going to bring him back from death was like that's kind of cheap, but I actually kind of appreciate it because I don't know, like you can be make a movie too dark and depressing, and um, you know one of the questions I know Sean's going to ask us is do we think that like Tucker and Specs the tonal shift between their kind of bumbling doofusness and the rest of the movie just ruins it and i'm like i think it's exactly right because without them this movie is a grim affair yeah yeah i'm with you and and they're not bumbling like they're 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 fun they're they're funny Uh uh-huh they're not like you know c-3po bumbling through a droid factory getting his head (laughs) swept around like it's they 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 were they're funny characters but they're also kind of heroic and Mm -hmm. smart in their way although Man, they get taken. That that attack yeah. on Parker is the most inept. Yeah, piece especially of with cinema cause, I've ever cause, seen. Because I'm thinking when Angus Sampson came in, I'm like, oh, Josh is getting oh, beat yeah. the fuck down. He's like a he's a big gonna, dude. But no, turns out you can be a big dude if you know how to fight. Yeah, and you're going yeah. against a guy who's killed like 16 people. You're going to get taken down. Um, slightly hard for me to believe that he wouldn't kill those two guys. Yeah, like a meet, like the, all those three just immediately killed them. Did it ultimately matter? I don't think it did. No, because they solved the problem themselves. Like, in fact, that was one of the right. comedies is, like, you know, Angus comes roaring down the stairs. <laughs> Bring it! Yeah. No. <laughs> he wasn't going to let the same thing happen twice. 
Yeah, that was glorious. One of my favorite moments. Super funny. Uh Let's talk a little bit more about the end. I, I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff we can talk about, but mm-hmm. the end is always the most interesting. Or, you know, in horror movies, maybe it's not, because the end of a lot of horror movies typically devolves into a battle against evil, right? This, and no exception. This, certainly no exception. Uh, last movie, certainly no exception. Like, both of these movie, I, movies, I feel the tension and, and the... Whatever scares you were getting just co- totally dissipated at the end of these movies because now it's just a battle for survival against a known threat, a known enemy. Uh, and some of, you know, some of even my favorite horror movies suffer from this, but like, like The Shining, for instance. Mm. But that's a little different of a case because now it's, it's a human, it's a madman, you don't know what he's capable of, but you want to see it. Right. Um, but that's why I like movies like The Blair Witch Project or Session Nine, where you never i mean the climax is the end of the movie and and it's not like it's not like it climaxes and then you get another 10 minutes of climax right Right. like you you never quite see the threat yeah uh but you can but you still feel attention all the way to the end of the movie like that was that was what impressed me about blair witch project is i never felt that sense of ease where it was like okay now the thing's ending Right. We're just going to battle it game over. Right. It, it was like right up to the last second. Uh-huh. It was tense. Yeah. And I never quite knew what was going on. And I I just, I wish more horror movies did that because it, the end of this movie is not scary in any way. Like well, the last 15 minutes, just the de- completely yeah, I guess not the, scary. The denouement is not scary, but it does peak like, you know, up until they, Josh wrestles control back of his body. Um. It is pretty well. I, scary, right? I guess in my mind, you know, you the would rather you of, would rather take that tension back out of the theater with you, rather than have it sure. dis- dispelled yeah. and dissipated and like have a good feeling, right? I, I feel like a good horror movie sticks with you, and when they end these movies, like they they have in Insidious one and two, mm-hmm. I don't feel like it sticks with me. Hmm. It it gives me a chance to say, okay, that was the threat. It, it gives me some closure where I don't. I don't want closure after a horror movie. I yeah. want to be horrified for a week I, or I guess two the, afterward. Yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly. So this is the first movie in a long time that it 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 kept me up a little bit. Um, not like uh, significant, yeah. but like I needed to get to bed really fucking early last night because I had to get up at six thirty to take my kid to school, and I didn't get, mm-hmm. I didn't actually fall asleep till one o'clock. Yeah, Jesus. Um, because I was kind of laying awake because it, it wasn't like yeah, I'm not afraid of Parker coming to get me, but the concept right. of like you could be vulnerable to all these, and like the movie makes it clear that there's just. Earth is jam-packed <laughs> full of souls waiting to jack a body. Right. Um, and, you know, I live in an old – I live in, a, like, almost a 90-year-old house now that fucking creaks and groans like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got a cat who fucking stalks around at night and, like, just, like, those, those, those disquieting nighttime sounds were just enough to make it – make me a little restless. Um, yeah. So – in that extent, like, yes, the specific, like, I'm not afraid of Parker and his mother, but the existential dread that you could go sleep, you could go dreamwalking and invite this horror into your life, I think the impl- that implication, the situational uh, implication stuck with me. Okay. Especially since, like, you know, they make it at the end, like, this isn't just, this isn't just this family, this happens. Right, right. To people all over the world. Yeah. 
um, and people think they're in coma and like all oh, this, this other stuff, and it's it's really so, so I don't know. I yeah, you know the because I'm, that's I, I just want to push back because like I didn't I thought the Blair Witch Pro I just I don't think the Blair Witch Project is is scary at all. Okay, I yeah I mean sure, and I don't. I'm sure there are movies I I don't think are scary that you probably do. So, so do you think the Insidious one was better in that it ended with the like you you thought that the horror was over, but well, it kind of does that here too. Um, at the end, you see Elsie looking at something, saying, "Oh my god!" But it's it's not the same family, so, right? Right. Like, and she's a ghost now. So what's the stakes for her? Yeah. Like I I honestly could see more. I saw that there's a Insidious three that mm-hmm. was. Written and directed by Wannell. This is his first time directing. Oh, hmm. uh, and and Angus Sampson and he stars in it, and it's still kind of. I think it's a prequel though, so she's still alive. So I guess it gets the stakes back up. But mm-hmm. I could actually see a couple more of these if they continue to be at this this level. Now I don't know. Yeah. Maybe this guy goes and just grosses out in the saw direction, and I, I mean I I don't know. Maybe it's interesting. I'd be interested to compare and contrast to see if like you know is Wan the secret to the success and you know Wannell is just kind of like a sounding board or was he kind of instrumental to some of this stuff? Um, because I thought it is also interesting that Wan made the conjuring in between Insidious and Insidious Two. Oh, and I do okay. think that he took a lot of the stuff he he got out of there with the relationship of parents and children and how you can really effectively like. Like, that's the other thing, is anytime a child gets locked in a room with a demon, like, I can't fucking stand it. Uh, and, like, <laughs> right, that, like, right. and, like, in The Conjuring 2, the little girl gets locked up in the upside-down crossroom, and, like, Patrick Wilson's trying to get in, and he can't, and she's screaming. Like, yeah. I thought that was pretty hard to watch. And then you got a baby. Uh-huh. The baby's screaming its head off, and this, this, this you know, you're like, is, is she smacking the baby? Like, oh, man, I, I that was that was really, really hard for me to watch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's those are some of the scariest moments is the kids being, you know, tormented by these demons. Um, because they're defenseless. I mean, as much as anyone is defenseless, the kids are. Yeah, most of all. Yeah, I mean, and I don't know why it makes it worse. I mean, probably because they're defenseless, but like it seems like everyone's defenseless against this threat. So why is a kid more pitiable than an right. adult? Just I guess. That's the thing. They're like, less capable. They're less can, capable of putting in perspective. Or can you even scare a baby in the same way that you can scare an adult or even a child? Like, I think it's a, easier. Well, it's easier to get a baby to cry, but is yeah. it? But is it easier to like? Is is there? Is it the same kind of scare? Right. Like an adult has this existential sort of yeah. Like things are. The, everything I understand about the world is no longer true, and I'm probably yeah. going to die. And like yeah. they understand the stakes, whereas a baby just sees something it doesn't like and screams. Yeah, <laughs> like, but on the other hand, they're also why, they're why a do raw ghosts nerve, torture right? babies? They're, so much. they're they're also a raw nerve. Like you know, we have yeah. But I'm thinking like it's it's diminishing or not diminishing returns. It, you get less of a thrill if you know that the baby doesn't understand what's going on. I but it's think. maximum fucking of the parent. So it's like it's it's okay. like whatever right. whatever a psychic trauma they're able to wrest out of the baby is just <laughs> like the gravy on the mashed potatoes. Right. The mashed potatoes are the parent is losing their fucking mind on the other side of this door. So no babies are like ever haunted by ghosts if their parents aren't. I don't aware know. Of it. You'd have to ask a ghost. I guess if their if their parents aren't aware of it though, there's no point. I do feel like that if I was a demon, I would get a certain amount of perverted delight in like tormenting a true innocent. 
you know, like generating their primal terror. And the fact, that, like I said, that I was trying to do this raw nerve is like, you know, when you're four years old and you skin your knee, you, you cry bloody murder. When you're a teenager, you go like, when I, as an adult, I can fairly grievously injure myself in the middle of working on a project and not even know it until I look down like, oh, my God, my arm's covered in blood. It's like because uh, you just use any painful stimulus, you're not used to it. Right. Like you haven't you haven't built up any emotional or physical calluses. So I feel like a baby is just like that just just raw elemental fear. And maybe that's appealing to a demon? I could see that, yeah. But you can you could take it farther and you can say okay, if a baby loses its arm, Okay, it screams because it hurt, right? right? And it's this raw nerve. But, but it's it, not thinking, oh, shit, I've lost my arm. Oh, my God, what's right. this mean? Like, There's uh, nothing I can do to I'll, reattach this I'll, thing I'll, looking down at it. I'll, and, I'll never be the same. I, will, I Can I keep my job? Will I be able to love a woman? Right. You know, there like, are yeah. none of those like <laughs> sure. very important concerns you have sure. that are terrifying in, in and of themselves. Sure. In a, a whole different level. So, yeah, I guess, you know, different strokes for different ghosts. Yeah. Uh, do, do what you're going to do. Uh, just leave me out of it. Yeah. I don't want any of it. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything. Cause oh, like, oh, speaking of kids. Sean's got a whole bunch of stuff that he wants to talk about, too. Okay, one more thing. Yep. Uh, speaking of kids, the D- Dalton actually isn't super helpless. You know, He goes into the further here, and he pulls his dad out. Yeah. But I'm calling complete bullshit on this kid being able to go to sleep. A, in the time frame that he needs to. B, with a fucking maniac ramming a fire extinguisher through a wall. I don't – I couldn't sleep. I, knew, I certainly couldn't go to sleep. I knew you were going to say that, so I spent some time some uh, amounting a defense. Is this some kind of supernatural ghost sleep? I, well, no, I feel like that's a 10-year-old trying to explain, like, he's essentially going into a spirit trance. Uh-huh. But he says it's going to, like, like a sleep. But, like, you know, that he's learned through the the metronome discipline and stuff, like, uh, how to do... You're right. It is... It strains your credibility to breaking point, but... I don't think he's literally going to sleep. I think he's putting okay. himself into some kind of trance. And maybe this is like a heroic kind of thing. Like, you know, like like he doesn't even know this is possible. But damn it, it's his, it, the stakes is his dad and he's going to try. Um, but it's weird because the kids were such a centerpiece of the first movie and they feel much more of an afterthought. And, and, and almost to um, – I thought that the kid was a little out of character at the end. Like he 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 did he turned into this little man, yeah, and was kind of saving the day. And I wasn't sure if I bought that. I mean, he was kind of having. I don't know how his experience in the last movie changed his his outlook on life. I mean, that's the other but, good point. Like you you spend six weeks chained in a demon's ba- spirit basement, being torn. Like you probably right. get tough. Yeah. You probably get you, you probably swallow a bag of cement and get get hard. You know. Yeah, he's like you were talking about cutting your arm in the workshop. I mean, that's right. Yeah, dude, he's been here before. Like this, this, this uh, old lady man, man, this this cross dressing old lady is not nearly as terrifying as the red faced right. demon with the sh- claws he's sharpening all the time. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this: What do you think Elsie saw at the end of the the movie? Well, so they played the clicking noises that I associate with the red-faced demon. So I'm guessing huh. that this is a rematch of, of of the red-faced demon. Oh, boy. But I've read a little bit of the summary of the plot for Insidious 3, and it doesn't seem like it's, it's a prequel. So Maybe she saw the third movie. <laughs> I don't know. I've never oh seen the third my movie. God. So yeah. I don't know if it's good or bad. Yeah. Uh, but if it's red-faced demon, I'm not What's so interested. weird because, like, I... 
I, I just don't know about this Wannel guy, and I need to see Insidious 3 to see if it holds up. Because I will tell you this, there is a steep fucking drop-off between the Conjuring series and, like, the Annabelle series. Which are direct, it's like they are inspired by the events, but they're not helmed by Wan. And like until I see, uh, like okay. until I see this Wanel guy um, pull off a Conjuring level scare, like I'm going to assume that he probably is not as good as James Wan. Hmm. Okay. And I don't even know how James Wan is as good as he is. Like because it's not just the creepy imagery which he excels at, and sometimes we, we like we talked, like he, maybe what's afraid, what makes him afraid is not what would make us afraid, but like. The confidence of a director to where, like, you've got the kid with the tin can and the fucking closet swings open. How long do you sit there and look at the empty closet? Right. Like, I, I swear to God, it felt like it's five minutes. It's probably, like, yeah. a full 15 seconds to build that tension. When does the ghost girl pop out of the closet? Like, I feel like he's got – I don't know whether he has, like, a fucking um, – like, people chained up in a laboratory where he – does A, B experiments. Like, here's the cut where it's only five seconds. Here's the cut ten seconds. How many people shit their pants? I don't know, but he's really <laughs> All good. All of them great. Printed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Until we get 99 percentile pants shitting, we're not, we're not printing the film. They filled the room. Great. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, that yeah, is a I mean, that, that building the tension right. and and releasing it and when you do that because what well, I mean I think it's something you just get a feel for as as a horror director. Like once you've done it, uh, why are once more or people twice, good at it? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, because it seems it's like it's just easy... something you kind of have to get an intuition for. Yeah, like there's a certain percentage of the tropes you got to do. There's a certain percentage of tropes you got to subvert. You got to have a jump scare. You got to have an expected jump scare. It doesn't pay. Like it seems like it's very formulaic, but most of the time it feels very formulaic, and it doesn't generate the right. really intense oh my god dread. Yeah, that these movies go for. I don't know. I feel like they probably film like you know, that closet for a good minute and a half. And they say, oh. all right, this, we're just going to cut in. We're we're going to say, how long does it take until the tension dissipates while right. we're looking at this closet? Right. Cut it right before that. And sometimes I notice that the score is like jingle jangling during these moments. And sometimes it's just dead silent. Yeah. And they're almost equally effective. And I wonder... I wonder why he does it one way sometimes and the other the other. I don't know. Just to keep like it's just to just to keep you off off balance. Probably. I mean, a large portion of what you do in horror movies is to keep them off balance. Like you said, subverting the the cliche. I I was actually tropes. surprised at how little downtime this movie had. Like a, a lot of yeah. his other films, there's like you know twenty minute stretches where things are kind of you know returning to normal and you you get relaxed yeah. and. I mean, I don't, I don't know if there's any stretches that long because, like, even when he cut away to like Specs and Tucker going back to Elsie's house, like they play that for a pretty good scare, and then they right. subvert it by it's like you think it's going to be the old lady talking to Josh, and but then you zoom in and it's it's or the old lady talking to yeah to young Josh, and it turns out it's old Josh talking to you, and you're like, what? Right. That? And that's the thing that at that point I'm like. How in the world are they going to make this not hokey? Because mm-hmm. you got some time traveling ghost story, like what the fuck? But yeah, I mean, to me, you know, the the least scary parts are when it turns into an action movie. Yeah, like that's where you know these movies inevitably let me down. I guess for for what I'm in it for. Whereas a lot of people love that stuff, you know, like give yeah. me the tension and then. Say everything's all right with the big win at the end. The, the only thing that James Wynn, I think he needs, and I need to see his lights out because, my God, that short film 
that's one of the the, the top ten scariest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to get the idea that there are no ultimate stakes, like that you can always rely on the kids and the mom and the dad are going to be okay. <laughs> and if he keeps mm-hmm. doing that, it's going to affect. Because I I was thinking. Like, what are the odds that Patrick Wilson comes in here and kills everyone and it ends in, like, a Blair Witch Project kind of thing? Right. Where, you know... (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I've seen movies like that. But you're right, he he doesn't do that here. Yeah. Like, you just see him kick through the door and the mother screams and he bludgeons her to death and then you see him turn towards the... Like, we're seeing the the POV of the kid whose spirit walking's perspective and his body's now defenseless and he had slowly advances on fades to black. Like, is that... I mean, that's the thing. Like, if he can do a movie like that to where I always know that he's got that in his back pocket, because right now I just feel like, um, you know, in Conjuring 2, it's like, well, when Patrick... Patrick Wilson and uh, what's her for Vera Formiga or whatever her name is mm-hmm. when they show up the ghosts are fucked yeah right. like it's like it's it's like when you know Egon and the rest of the Ghostbuster uh-huh. crew shows up it's just like yeah there's gonna be some there's gonna be some some scares and some moments but somebody's he, getting slimed he, but... they're rolling up their spiritual sleeves and Christ mm-hmm. is gonna be invoked and <laughs> there's gonna be some Latin said and the demon's gonna get their uh, ratio of ass to ear adjusted you know <laughs> Um, yeah, I feel like that's the mo. You know that that idea that the the bad guy is going to come in and just kill everyone and wink at the camera is kind of the mo of like a slasher film, right? Like in those movies, you know, he's definitely an antagonist. But you think about like Jason or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And he he doesn't ever die; he kills everybody, right? And people don't get away from Jason, right? For the most part, or Freddy Krueger, like. Or if someone does, it's just sure, so they, they can... do die every once in a while, sure. but you got to mix it up, right? right like right, in the vast right. majority of movies, they don't die. So like, right. that's kind of a slasher thing. And I I can't think of a movie I've seen that successfully combines like the slasher mentality with the just pure psychological torture. But could, like I said, it just seems like you could just have J- you could just have him kill killed everyone in this movie and. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but maybe that's less scary. Like, because that's the other thing is like, if you do that, that's the problem with the slasher film is that you see you start to see these characters as human cattle, right? Uh, and it you can even start rooting for the bad guy, and yep. then that like there, um, I saw a life pro tip on Reddit a couple months ago where it's like if you find scary movies um, hard to watch, root for the bad guy. Okay. Because if you can start uh-huh. getting behind, like, rooting for the bad guy, then their the terror completely dissipates. And I feel like that's kind of like, you know, when you got Freddy, especially this charismatic, funny guy, right. slicing and dicing these hapless teenagers, it's, like, uh-huh. easy to be like, okay, these are all terrible people. Or... Yeah, and the worse that the heroes, quote-unquote, are, mm-hmm. like, the less you identify with them, the easier that is to accomplish. Right. Because, like, yeah, just, okay, just... Teenagers partying and rebelling. Okay, slaughter them all. And like, that's like Cabin in the Woods kind of like deconstructs people. all that. Yeah, that 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 uh, dichotomy. Right. Um, anyway, I I was surprised at how because I was actually thinking that this is probably going to be like how can this be better than the first one? You know, mm-hmm. and and you know how do they? At first, I was afraid that you wouldn't even have Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne. It would just be a flashback to him as a kid, and like that's an excuse to just bring in B level talent. And I was pleasantly surprised by how well this movie hung together. Yeah. Uh, shall we get to some of Sean's thoughts? Let's do it. He says the first time I watched Insidious, I was really digging it until it ended like a traditional horror film. 
When the second one was released three years later, I was hesitant to see it because I didn't want to see what I thought was going to be the new Saw franchise, where I'd have to witness the same family tortured for ten movies. But this was released a few months after original Conjuring, and I thought I'd give it a try because I really liked the chemistry to director James Wan and actor Patrick Wilson displayed through the first two films. I feel like there are some directors that just get the best out of actors and vice versa, such as John Carpenter and Kurt Russell. Uh, I was blown away by this film. Retconning usually bugs me in sequels, but I really enjoyed it in this film. The fact that you're meant to think Josh was talking to the old woman at the beginning under hypnosis later was revealed uh, to be the grown-up Josh. That first time watching, I was thinking, oh, God, this is so terrible. He's inviting the old woman, and he doesn't understand what's going on because he's just a kid. But then they totally subverted my expectations, and I loved it. I really feel like these two films are good at telling a complete story of the Lambert family, and I got a Kill Bill vibe from the series. Obviously, this isn't good as Kill Bill, of course. I just thought it was refreshing in the world of sequels we live in that this one paid off the story's com- uh, completion. I agreed, and completely unexpected. Like I, like I said, I don't know what I was expecting from a sequel, but I, you know, we we talked about this in Terminator Two, like you know, in the series of in in the history of great sequels, and there are not a lot of them. This film's probably up there. Like it's yeah. not just a paint by numbers. We made a shit ton of money last one. Let's make another shit. Let's make a quick buck off the audience again. Like it mm-hmm. gives you a reason if you're a fan to like, oh yeah, I'm I'm glad I paid my ten bucks at the at the turnstile. You know. Yeah, it's really rewarding. I think. Uh, he has some questions he propounds to us. Did it seem to you that Parker sought out Josh as a boy because of Josh's mother worked at the hospital he was committed in? It feels too big of a coincidence for it to just be a coincidence. I guess, but they don't explain that. They, they, they don't, don't say why. Like, they, they say, oh, his mother's forcing him to kill, and that's why he's coming after your child. Like, well, why is he coming after this child specifically? My only thought is that Parker's mother is a ghost at this point, and maybe she can smell the spirit walker on Josh. Uh, Well, I'm... So, I mean, Josh has this ability, right, right. to, like, fly away from his body and go right. to the further. So maybe not – since not everybody has that, then – Yeah, that's, like, something they can tell. Right. You know? And, you know, he's in their world, right? So maybe they spotted him. Like, right. And now they're coming after him. Right. Um, but they, you, you know, they don't explain it because it's it's un, it's it's fundamentally unexplainable. Like, they, we talked about this in the first movie review is that – these ghost mechanics don't make any goddamn sense. They're not even like sci-fi right. mechanics where it's like, oh, okay, well, you know, you got to have the Heisenberg compensator, of course, when you're beaming people through time and space. Right. And like they just hand wave. It's just like it's just it's dream logic. And sometimes that's a really good thing for building that tension and feeling, you know, off put. And it makes sense that the supernatural world wouldn't have rules that we would comprehend. Right. Like, there's guidelines and, like, you know, certain things, but there's some things you're going to see that just don't make sense and are un- 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 unfathomable. Yep. Yep. Uh, body jacking is definitely a zero-sum game. Because <laughs> the more people that die, the less bodies there are to jack. And- yeah. Yeah, I can see why they're so like gung ho about getting the bodies. I don't know that that's bodies. true because it's like it seems like well, they're less living bodies, right? Like so, every single person that dies wasn't there a point? Like I, I know we passed it since, but wasn't there a point like early in the 20th century where there was more people alive than there had ever died because humans had multiplied so much? I 
guess. Especially since... But, but at some point, that trend reverses. It has to. Oh, yeah. I think we've, now we've hit we... now. Like, okay, obviously, right. we're at 7 billion people. Like, you know, yeah. they're... The, and we've been... We've All been 7 a... billion of those are going to die. And if we're at 13, well, guess what? Yeah. Like, you've had 7 billion people right. dying for 50 years. Right, so right. Now. Um, but, like, yeah, especially when, like, there was some event in prehistory where, like, the human race died off to, like, only 15,000 people. Oh, some cat. And that's one of the reasons why we have um, so many fucked up weird genetic things is because we're essentially all way too inbred for our own good. <laughs> Great. Um, anyway, uh, he says, I found it a little disappointing that they had the scene with the new family at the end as this movie is better if it just – I think this movie is just better if it cuts the credits after Josh and Dalton are put under hypnosis to forget. Um yeah, I, I think if I was going to remake this movie, I would go with the Marvel model. Like, if you're going to tease a new franchise, if you're going to tease an ongoing franchise, do an after credit sequence. Because that whole... It's one thing to have this long denouement where uh, the tension bleeds off, and but then to just ramp it back up for another five-minute scene to tease the next movie, which ends up not even being the tease for the next movie, I don't get it. Oh, yeah, that's weird. Right. Yeah, I, I mean that doesn't get me back to the level I was at before. Certainly, like that that two minute thing with Elsie doesn't scare me. Also, nearly as much. Also, fuck sitting at like you know eleven thirty at night in a dark room and the Insidious logo hits with the fucking right. music cranked to fifty million. Yeah, that's the shit that I don't like is when it's <sighs> cheap. I gotta get I gotta get a sound system has some kind of equalizer or compressor because I'm so fucking tired of turning shit up to hear dialogue mm-hmm. and and then getting blasted by gunfire or explosions or whatnot. Yeah, that's what these movies trade on, and I don't. Well, I think they're all designed it. like they're designed like you have a seven point one awesome system that has that kind of dynamic range, and I'm just listening to I'm just watching it on a. You know, uh, a flat screen that's got a, you know, whatever shitty built-in sound. I need to up my game, man. Yeah. They got to scare you in the theater. Yeah. So, yeah. Because that's the thing. Like, I don't have this problem in the theater. Like, the, right. di- I, the, if the if even a whisper, I'm able to hear it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm going deaf. All that is true as well. <laughs> but um, I also enjoyed the theme of facing your demons, Sean says. Josh's mother quit taking his picture, hoping it all just go away. Josh forgetting the other place. Uh, it seemed to work, but in the end, to completely defeat them, uh, the other once and for all, they had to defeat the old woman. Mm-hmm. Though Carl putting Josh and Dalton under hypnosis at the end makes me wonder what the filmmakers here are trying to say. By forgetting through hypnosis, will Dalton astral project again, or did the hypnosis make him forget how to astral project completely? I agree. It does seem like the theme is you cannot run from your demons, and yet at the end, they essentially... Like, wouldn't wouldn't the more interesting thing be for this uh, the son and the father to continue to train their powers so that they can, you know, like because like, they could do a lot of good with that ability, right? And it it and and they can it makes, certain it makes even less sense when you you pair it with what Josh tells Renee, uh, what what the Parker tells Renee right. through Josh, which is like. Oh, just ignore it. The ghost will go away. Right. Well, we know that's manifestly untrue. That's like that's the ghost giving you that's giving like the, you the bad that, advice. Yeah, that's yeah. like the, the bear saying, "You just you know when you, when you go against a bear, you just want to play dead." Because <laughs> right. we're totally not like. I mean, that's probably true. But I'm saying it seems like if the bear is telling you that, it's like, yeah, you just want to eat me easy. Right. You automatically want to discard that device. That advice. So you don't want to get kicked in the nuts when you're trying to like because you're going to kill me and eat me, but you might get kicked in the nuts. Where if I just play dead, yeah. Right. Um, and the other thing is they're dooming 
Dalton to experience this with his family. Dooming Dalton. To if Dalton has a family and he has kids, it's very likely one of those kids are going to be at an astral project, and he's uh, going to have right. no memory of it and no memory of his power. And is like, is, so what are they going to do? Like, is is uh, Rose Byrne in like thirty years? Right as he has his firstborn child, says, "Okay, I got to sit down and tell you something." Uh-huh. Uh, if anything freaky deaky happens, let us know so we can bring. Like, I don't. We need, we need like the. It seems like a short sighted solution. <laughs> it does. I feel like the long-term solution here is to just remove the astral projection gene from the gene pool, right? Like, not forcibly, but, like, get a coalition of people who can go to the further and just say, we're not going to have kids. We're not going to have kids. Or we'll adopt. Or we'll, yeah, something. Right. Then what do the ghosts do? Yeah. I mean, haunt you into having a kid, maybe? You breed it out of the, yeah. They they, they try to fuck, fuck fuck you up. Yeah. Like they're whispering, don't pull out, Dalton. <laughs> You're so close and it feels so good. You know, like what? Right. Don't, you don't need the condom tonight, Dalton. Four. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't, they, I don't they, think that's where they they're going to go with the, it. The, but... All these ghosts just go radical Catholic and they just, you know, <laughs> that's what they do. They work through the Catholic the church. Ghost too. Pope. There we go. The ghost Pope. It's they, perfect. Full circle. Full circle. Uh, <laughs> Um, I think we talked about this a little bit in the last movie, but I'll entertain it again. The theme of the movie being the dead envying the living. Did it work for you? One of the problems I heard you guys talk about on the Big Trouble in Little China Commission is the living and dead are not dichotomies of one another. But did this movie do a better job at that theme than Big Trouble in Little China? Uh, You have the advantage of me, sir, because I don't remember that conversation at all. I don't either. I mean, it it makes sense because I think what – and you even tried to say this in the last podcast is like why do the dead – have such a radically different agenda than the living. Like what? Like like there's this thing where Angus Sampson says we've never seen like death improve a person. Like they're never better when they're. But but you know the the old spirit lady seems to be her exact same self. Right. Like why do some people just turn into complete and utter shits when they're dead? I don't know. You would think it'd be exactly the same as being alive at some point. Right? It does seem like all the ghosts that they give evidence of, they have something fucked up about them. Like, Parker is super fucked up. All of his victims would have cause to be fucked up. One of the easiest explanations is that, like, only a certain kind of people go to this place. Right. Um, The ones with unfinished business. Which, I guess, solves the zero-sum game as well. But, like, uh, I don't know. I mean, there's there's no reason for it. It's just a thing that the movie has adopted. Sure. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, like I said, it does. You know what? There is a reason for it. It's because it preys on the fears of the audience, like the fear of the unknown, right? Yeah. Like this idea of death is a very scary thing inherently. Um, we don't know what's beyond it. If if it's depicted in the way that this is depicted, it's a, also a very scary thing. Yeah. And, and I, I think that's just the idea they're going for. Well, the other thing is um, I'm a lore whore, and I was big into Magic the Gathering during the Alara block, and that whole concept is this this particular plane or dimension. Uh, you got the five mana types in Magic, you know, like the mm-hmm. fire magic, the death magic, the life magic, and, like, in this, like, the, the planes have been sundered into five, so, like, uh, you'd have uh, the, the, the green and white plane is, like, super... Um, uh, or maybe this is, like, three... Ver- 
they have three colors a piece. But anyway, they like you know like the 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 white green was like super life and everybody's kind of righteous and holy. And then they had this like red black world, which is this hellscape mm-hmm. where like there was no more life for them. It was this all bunch of zombies and necromancers and skeletons and what little life they could like that was like the currency like that the, they use. It was a very rare resource, and I wonder like. When you're dead, is it like the heat death of the universe where you don't have any energy? Like whatever energy you, – your max energy was when you first died and you're slowly losing power and becoming less and less. So you envy the living because you want that power again. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know like there's no more suns left. There's just black holes. And if you find a, you know, a, a sun, then you're going to want to like jump you – know, you're going to want to huddle around it and extract all of its heat energy. Just extreme boredom? Yeah, or just like, you know, the fact that they don't – whatever is keeping them on this plane not wanting to pass on is is terrifying that they're slowly evaporating. This is – again, this is a bunch of ghost logic I'm inventing based on fucking Magic the Gathering. <laughs> so take it. But, but right. like, to the extent that they don't want to pass on, that scares them. They would do anything to keep from passing on if they think leeching on to the living huh. yeah. is going to keep that their foot jammed in the door of, of being slammed shut on them. Then they're going to do that and – damn the consequences and it seems like that's kind of what parker was doing yeah like he didn't want to kill people to keep living but by god he would if that was the the only way mm-hmm. uh what do you think of the tonal we already talked about the tonal shifts and i think specs and tuck no they they are needed to, to to lighten the load here so why do the let me ask you this the dead seem to have an advantage over the living here uh-huh. which is they understand that there are two sides of this equation and that they can travel between them right the living don't seem to understand that even when they go to that place. They assume it's a dream. Why don't the dead do the same? Like when they take the body of a living person, why don't they assume that they're dreaming? To answer that, I'll tap three black magic and cast Mind Splinter. Uh, <laughs> um, that's a good question. They don't seem to have well, the that, same psychology. Yeah, as that's that's back to like why life. why is the worldview completely different? Right, like, like, how come the like, like, why do the ghosts know everything? Like, what? I, I guess I think some of the really good ghost stories are where the ghosts are just as confused as we are about anything. Uh-huh. They don't; they're more like, reacting. Was it the others on it. that that Maybe. had that. Are you talking about the one of Nicole Kidman? Yeah, yeah. yeah, like they. I think they, the others they were very, the ghosts were that very was confused. really that was a really cool movie. That too. was a great movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think you're, or like the sixth sense is good at that. Those yep. ghosts are not vengeful or malevolent. They're just confused and scared and, right. you know, want to know why their daddy po- or mo- mommy poisoned them. And like, they don't, they don't, they don't even know that they're dead. Like that's probably the best way to look at it because it doesn't uh-huh. seem like the, you know, the ghosts aren't like super intelligent or they know exactly what's going on. And they're like the puppet masters of the world. <laughs> right. That's, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, uh, that's a more viable worldview, I guess. I think so. But ultimately, all those ghosts are sympathetic. Even sure, though they're yeah. really creepy and horrifying, once you understand the the trick of them, they're no longer terrifying. Yeah. So, Which has a message all its own. Yeah. Um, he continues, and I like this point. Josh is very concerned with his physical appearance in the first movie, plucking his white hairs, moisturizing his eyes. Then when his body is possessed, it begins deteriorating. Huh, Do you think that's yeah. a theme they're establishing, or am I reading too much into that? I guess so. I hadn't thought about it. I mean, I feel like these guys, that's another kind of genius way where these guys took three years off and thought about, like, these quirks that we gave Patrick, What? how can we kind of invert those in interesting ways? And I don't know, like, again, it's all ghost logic, right? Mm-hmm. But I think you're on to something there, that this is 
you know, what whatever his fear of getting old and deteriorating, the ghost was going to experience that as well. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and now he's lost a tooth. What's he going to do? The tooth, the fucking asshole tooth, the ghost. Like, put it in a glass of milk. So then when you get the family killed and you're no longer rotting away, you can go have it read. Like, now he's just going to go around with the molar missing the rest of his life. Guess so. Asshole. If that was a front tooth. That was a back tooth. I, I know. If it oh. was a front tooth, you'd have some real problems. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, how many... T- Patrick Wilson's a good-looking guy. How many teeth can he lose before... <laughs> I think the number is one if it's in the front. <laughs> I think it's one. Before he's he's down to bars in Kentucky where he's picking up chicks. That's, that's all you're right. going to do. Right. Uh, was the mythology... This is the last one. Was the mythology of the Parker uh, Crane and his mother interesting? The filmmakers make such an effort to connect these two films as one story. Do you feel like the filmmakers had the story planned from the conception of first film, or did they just retcon when they made it the sequel? Yeah, and either way, did you talked, enjoy it? I think we talked about it, but yeah, absolutely, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I thought it was one of the best parts of this movie. And it was interesting as a origin story for a ghost, mm-hmm. and I guess those are always more interesting than the demons, right? Because like- in, I agree, yeah. In Conjuring 2, like, the old man was fundamentally more interesting than the demon, because the demon, like, where does it come from? Why does it want? What does- it just seems like they just want to scare – like, they just have these very – like, how do you empathize with a demon? I don't know. You know, like, I man, Satan's a real dick. Yeah. Like, he's got this soul quota, and my God, if you're short one month, like, you know, he makes you wear fucking red paint on your face. It's And you got to sharpen your claws all the time. And it turns out <laughs> there's nerve endings in those claws. They're not they're not like fingernails. Like, like that fucking hurts, oh, man. man. You know, I, I don't know. But until someone humanizes those – uh, I feel like they're the, the ghosts are more scary than the demons. We need Pixar to get a hold of a, a demon. Oh yeah, they're good at anthropomorphization. Yeah. yeah, of of things. Or I guess like um, Kevin Smith and Dogma. He gave like the angels and demons kind of right. a bit of a battle. Like you know, like they're they're essentially um, you know God's big daddy and their children and they jockey for and they they want the big daddy's love and. They go about different ways and things get twisted, but they all really just want to be loved, right? Sure. Like they, they, yeah. they're 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 kids at heart, but mm-hmm. in these movies, they're just you know, pain beasts. <laughs> so, all right, uh, that's it. Uh, yeah. Again, thanks, Sean. I um, I don't know. I I getting to see the Insidious were in in kind of like my the back of my mind because I I want to see James Wan and uh, see him do more stuff. Lights Out is the next one I want to see, mm-hmm. uh, but boy, phew, I'm. I'm kind of dreading that because, again, the five-minute short robbed me of sleep for, for a couple of days when I watched it. Um, but I thank you for commissioning this podcast. It was really interesting. Thanks yeah. for your generosity and your support. Um, if And you've got another one coming. I forget what it was. He had Blood Simple, um, which we found interesting as a kind of archaeological look at the Coen brothers but unsatisfying as a film. These two, which I thought thought were were pleasant surprises, and then the Dead Zone. I don't even know. I, I know nothing about the Dead Zone. It's adapted from a Stephen King novel. Well, that speaks starring highly of Christopher it. Walken. Have you seen it? No. How have you not seen it? I feel like you. Have, I don't know. It's from 1983. It's Christopher Walken. That's yeah. something up your alley. It's Stephen King. Check horror. Check. Well, I have blank spots in my horror True. repertoire as I well. I just feel like so. that, and this didn't probably happen. I felt like that you spent two years watching horror movies as soon as you got out of the. The, the church. Yeah, I, kind of, I mean, it was more spaced out than that, but uh, I'm sure I've seen. Plus, you just went to Italian zombie films. Yeah, I spent a lot of time in the gore films <laughs> more more than horror. Uh, 
but you know i've seen my fair share of horror as well this was a a gap that i had that i'm really glad i filled so thanks sean would you be most excited to see gore verbinski direct the saw movie <laughs> like that's his that's his gore <laughs> right. squared right yeah <laughs> And on that terrible joke, uh, if you want to hear more of that stuff, you can commission your own podcast. Go to baldmove.com slash shop. Uh, you go with their community commission, community commissions, where you can go in for $10 shares with your fellow Bald Move fans on popular films until they all, all shares get sold and we do the film. Or you can uh, go for the brass ring, the big cheese, the head honcho, the, the ultimate goal, the pinnacle of podcast commission experience, and just, just – Make us watch whatever movie you want to watch or you want us to watch. Uh, Either way, we'll be back with more commissions in the very uh, near future. Thanks again, Sean, and we'll see you guys later.